Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now And I appreciate it. And Ian's here on bass. Are, you t- are we talking about McCarthyism? <laughs> and that's what I thought we were talking okay, about. Right off the bat, I have to know: Are you now, or have you ever been, a member of the Communist Party? I mean, I kind of feel like I sort of lean a little bit that way. I mean, well, a little bit. Well, what's so funny is that the more research I did, I was like, oh, sh-. like we would be toast. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> in all of these hearings, it's like, do you know any homosexuals or uh, Jewish people? <laughs> I was like, uh, you mean like all of my friends? <laughs> yeah. You mean toast. my favorite people in the yeah. entire world? <laughs> right. Are you talking about the people I hold most dear in my life? Yeah. Are you, are you yeah. sympathetic Guilty. with like, poverty or something <laughs> like, like around the world? You read international I mean. literature. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you like to dance with abandon? Uh. <laughs> is that a communist thing? Well, apparently it is. Okay, wow. so we'll, let's start at the beginning. So we today's topic, we're talking about McCarthyism. And if this is your <laughs> first episode of Acts of Pod... I can't imagine it because we've got about 25 listeners in. I just want to thank you guys for coming back uh, again. again. Literally dozens. Dozens. Tens of elevens. (laughs) (laughs) But um, like I... But again, I, uh, my therapist is uh, very excited about my meaningful hobby, and um, <laughs> so it's we're all here to support no, it's, you. It's a, yeah, it's a, so it's a great I, it's, creative. It's not a waste of time. Outlet like no. my life. Oh God! Here it comes. Um. Here it comes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, okay, we're t- so our podcast. What we like to do is we sort of talk about something that's happening in contemporary news and then we uh, draw a line back to its historical source or you know sort of contextualize it in a in a big picture kind of way and I thought 
with the way that, um, and this is not all Republicans, but there's a small group of Republicans talking about these sort of conspiracy theories that there's a, a deep state, that they have it out for Trump, that they're, you know, working within the State Department to, to sort of, uh, I don't know, sabotage Trump's vision and um, these sort of conspiracy what, has theories. He laid, okay. yeah. Has he laid out a vision? What is his vision? <laughs> I, you know, I'm... S- uh, yeah. Well, you'd have to ask Bannon or um, that. What's that little guy who's so terrifying? Oh, that little like Steve, just Stephen Miller is yeah. that his name? Yes, Miller. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. With he, the with the weird like pointy face and like he definitely looks like he he lives on the periphery of the wood. He's definitely. He just, <laughs> You could just see his little ho- hobgoblin face poking out in the moonlight. <laughs> I am. Oh, okay. Yeah, I had to Google. Gave. I had to give it a. I had to. No, I had to give it a Goog. Steve Miller. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. To see what you, who. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's definitely. He's um. Yeah. Yeah, like he's he, got things to say. God, he's young. Oh, yeah, he's like t- way too Man, young to have all this power, and he's just like wow. feeling so, so gross about it. But oh, okay, so anyway, yeah, um, sorry. No, 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 no. I it's speaking of people with too much power. <laughs> oh. I, heard there, I heard there was a senator named Joseph McCarthy. Hey, g- great well, segue. That is a good segue, but yeah, so that's what I was going to say, is that the conspiracy theory atmosphere lends itself back to a, a, a point in time in our own history where we allowed conspiracy theories to grip the hearts and minds of Americans, and it really did a lot of damage, and that is the... It's actually the second Red Scare. We already had one of them, so this is the second Red Scare and McCarthyism. Right. And uh, so that's our topic for today. Uh, hey! Think, yeah. There are a lot of parallels um, to what's going mm-hmm. on now. To, to the point where... It, I mean, even to the point where... I, I'm surprised that more people don't talk about it or in any way act differently than the first time to hope for a different outcome. Um, yeah. It, God, I was just reading something about why you don't hear about it. It's because obviously, like at the time, liberals or Democrats were against it. But then the Republican presidential I don't president supporters ended up not liking it or something so it got to the point to where nobody wanted to talk about it or something I, wait what are we, are we talking about just like the red, red scare in general or the the house no, McCarthyism and okay the let's, house let's do a, let's uh, do a thing on un-american activities or well i I can, yeah well actually that's i i don't want to i don't want to waste that point because that's a good entry point into the beginning 
cool. Um, of, yeah, of let's my get a, a, anyway. a, a, a snapshot. Let's get this book what, report what is, started. Yeah. What so is this McCarthy is this is where it's this is where it starts. Okay, so right after World War II, Roosevelt, as you know, had a very long presidency. The Democrats were in power for a long time, and the Republicans they did not have an in because they couldn't run against the economy because, um, again, this is after the war, after the Great Depression and the Ro- and Roosevelt had done the New Deal. And so to run against that, I mean, it was um, just counter to the feelings of Americans at the time. So their way in, their hook was to run on social issues. And at the time, what was prevalent was a sort of sinister undercurrent of un-American activities. Okay. That there could be a communist hiding in plain sight and that there were people who were actively trying to thwart our constitutional values. And people thought that, that the Americans had not, that they had been screwed by the Soviet Union after World War II, that we, that we had lost China, we had lost Eastern Europe, that, that um, you know, they felt that we had gotten a bad deal out of that. And, um, and also the Russians had gotten the atomic bomb. So that's where we are. And the Republicans uh, in 1947, there was the House un-American committee and that's when they were able to really start using social issues to get votes rather than economic issues. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah. 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 Can you see can you see how that would be a parallel to I don't know current uh Yeah. Let let's current administration yeah exactly nationalism okay. isolationism yeah, that, it's the same right. brand Isol- exactly. of republicanism yeah well well here's here's and then what uh facilitated it facilitated it yeah 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 that's right um was truman's okay truman had executive order 9835 did you read about this no go for it oh okay and that's in 1947. And that's, this is, it's this, it's this executive order talking about. Oh, the loyalty. Loyal, lo- the loyalty. Yes, exactly. And it sets up, it sets up the, uh, okay. Procedure, uh, procedures for the administration of employee loyalty program. So they establish this loyalty committee. This sounds to me like a kind of like anti-labor am I oh, it am was. I right? Okay. Absolutely. So that's just like Absolutely. that's their answer to kind of like the labor movement and like unions and what. Well, and uh, yeah, and and so much more too. Right. But it it was like this this loyalty review board was set up to investigate and I'm I mean, I don't know how much, like, proof was really ever needed. Um, and if they found you as communist, fascist, totalitarian, or subversive, 
Um, it, it basically, it's just saying there wasn't much of a burden if, of if proof. We, yeah, if we think you're against the United States, and we can classify you by some any term really, because fascist, communist, blah, whatever. Um, we're going. You could to have an accent. Fire you. Yeah. Yeah, and oh god, or, you know, well, membership affiliate. Yeah, go ahead. Well, that's what I, mean, I was gonna say because they they applied that standard. Crazy. They, they applied that standard to all federal jobs, so you know. But oh, but it but but it ended up being adopted by private private companies. Right, that's exactly which what, is so gross. Well, they also applied it to universities. They also applied it to schools. And so people were not resistant to it. I mean, even though, again, people within the Senate or the House may have had reservations, and, like, you'll see this repeated over and over again, they felt like if they were to say something about it, then they themselves... Right, then they bring it on, yeah. So, um, you know, and that's the that was what was the easy selling point was... You know, if you're not a communist, then what do you have to worry about? Right? right. Like that was the, you know, if you were to complain. Well, and and we'll see this because they um, there was a committee, um, the the House Un-American Committee, and they ended up bringing in people from Hollywood, huge Hollywood <laughs> yeah. actors and directors. You may have heard of this, but. Again, I don't know if you see a parallel between um, people sort of demonizing the Hollywood liberal elite for propaganda, mm-hmm. but that right. that has existed from the beginning, and um, that rhetoric has existed from the beginning. Right. They, so every time the Oscars come around, when people on your Facebook pages are like, I wish they would just shut up with their politics. And, I mean... I, I went on quite a quite a deep dive. I bet you did, in, yeah. In, in, into you did. this exact thing, Ooh. but I can I but I can wait. I can wait. No, this on is it. the t- this is it. This is the time. This is I, it. I, I yeah. just, this is it. This is I, your um, intro. Yeah. Okay. Dive. I'm just, I'm just bringing dive, up bullet baby. points. Bringing it up. Yeah. Uh, th- okay. So there's, um, it's called the. It's an FBI file on the communist infiltration of the motion picture industry. Mm. And I couldn't get an exact date. Like, I was like, oh, it was published in 1947. No, maybe 1951. But but it's like like something around 2,000 pages that has now, it's been made public. Um, through, you know, the Freedom of Information Act. There's still some redactions. And I was going through that, and it is amazing. Like, the detail and who's on the list. Like, and it's it's just so, like, okay, so they'll have, like, a name. Like, a screenwriter name. Or, or and then they'll have a lot, dash, director and a communist on to the next name um langston hughes is on there oh of course he is um james cagney which (laughs) 
this is what cracked me up because <laughs> I, I don't know if y'all ever saw the movie Yankee Doodle Dandy. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> I did not see that. I did oh, as a child about a hundred times. Oh God! Um, I actually remember I, you in a drunken state, yeah, marching around <laughs> singing Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh my I have God! A very it's... clear image of that in my head. Yeah, and for people out there who think I'm singing the the what you know Yankee, no, this is James Cagney or yeah. his character George M. Cohen. <laughs> oh God! Uh, oh God! I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy, a real life uh, a Yankee Doodle Do or Die, die. a real life nephew nephew of of my uncle Sam, born Born on the fourth of July, July. communist. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is. I'm like. What about that movie? He, he was singing it ironically, there, guys. Over there. <laughs> send the troops, oh boys, over there, and we won't come back till the, you know, Russians are dead or whatever. Right. I mean, the movie is all about. Yeah, but I mean. It's a, it's a patriotic musical. Musical. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's on the list. But what about his he's like personal list. life? You know, like that's all. That he could had donated all be a money to the communist party. Well, well there you, go. There you have it. Guilty. Well, here's the thing: is that um, going off of that, they they brought in everybody from Gary Cooper to Lucille Ball, Orson Welles. Uh, or- <laughs> they talk about him. Uh-huh. What? <laughs> he talked about frozen peas and um, <laughs> green penis. And um, anyway, I was so. Uh, can but, I, I oh, just? I, I can I say one more thing about they? They also talk about um, that there's a Hollywood anti-Nazi league, which they call a front for the Communist Party. Right. So oh my god. It, so it, that makes sense. Well, it does <laughs> make sense if you kind of extrapolate all that ideology right now, you know, like... And then this is my absolute favorite, <laughs> favorite part of the document is the... Description the movie review of It's a Wonderful Life as being communist. Mm-hmm. Um, it is amazing. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a couple quotes from this FBI report. Oh, God. Um, now the person who who they they're quoting and and they interviewed that name is redacted in my head. I'm like, is it Jimmy Stewart? <laughs> I don't know. Donna Reed. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so the film represented a rather obvious attempt to discredit bankers. Oh, yeah, the bankers. But yeah, by casting Lionel uh, Barrymore. What's his name? Um, Potter? Potter. Yeah, (laughs) Potter. Yeah. As a Scrooge type. So he would be the most hated man. Um, This is a common trick used by communists. Uh, it goes on to say that they deliberate that the movie deliberately maligned the upper class, attempting to show people who had money were mean and despicable. 
Um, and that if this and name redacted, if they had made this movie portraying the banker, he would have shown this individual to have been following the rules as laid down by the state bank examiners in connection with making loans. So yeah, that Jimmy been a Stewart great, was really that just been a great movie. He that would have been a great movie. So the <laughs> bankers following the rules and there's no conflict. It's just we're watching people in a town. I mean, I'm sorry. sorry those are the breaks, Jimmy Stewart. That's how it goes. Yeah. Those are the rules. The banker, the banker followed the rules. Why is he a meanie me? <laughs> this is a trick of the communists. Yeah. Well, and that's it. It's a wonderful it, life, guys. It's a wonderful <laughs> life. Have you seen that movie? I've seen it. It's, I mean, it's dark. Like, it's about, like, suicide and, like, people and, like, I, it's a, I'm, you know, I'm a dork, okay? I love that movie. I absolutely love that movie. I guess another, another, another reason movie. why you're on the blacklist, Dan. Exactly. All yep. right. Well, mm-hmm. what I was going to say is that it could be perceived as anti capitalist. Right, and well, so obviously, yeah. Any the... and that also class war. It's an underdog story, right? No, People and I'm underdog. not arguing with you. I know, I but I want to argue with what. And we're talking. we're all we're all we've on the got same side. so much information to get through. Yeah, we can. I know, Let's I know. just. I just I'm so, I was so excited to sing Yankee Doodle Dee. I know. And, I know. and get into It's a Wonderful Life. No, that's great. I'm going to be okay for a while. I'll okay, okay this while. all I'm just going to all I'm going to say is that um uh that the same sort of rhetoric that we hear now that anytime we talk when you hear about trying to even make tuition more affordable or anything like that that sounds socialist you hear yeah. those echoes of class warfare which at the time would have been anti-capitalist which then would have yeah. been the so at the time they uh in 1947 they brought in um when they brought all these people in there was actually a, a list of 10 uh they called them the hollywood 10 and they refused mm-hmm. to answer any questions because at the time, and I, I watched some of the interviews with these guys at the um, years and years later, where they were saying, you know, there even if I was a communist, that's not illegal. You know, you're allowed to. Be- right. Yeah, unfortunately, there's that that let, let little problem of it's not illegal to be communist in the United States. Yeah, it's like, and there's that little problem of the first fucking amendment. Yeah, right. Which yeah. is which is Whoops, what they which is what they said, freedom of speech or whatever right. or whatever. <laughs> no, I mean that's a really strong argument. <laughs> or yeah, <sorry>. whatever. One <laughs> a. Yeah, there's a little thing about <laughs> freedom of speech or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Don't tread on my one a right. <laughs> But, um, so my point is, is that, um, those 10 directors, they actually went to jail for contempt oh, yeah. of Congress. I mean, if, if you can imagine Congress. it, but yeah. the, the problem was, is that there ended up being 200 
writers, actors, directors that ended up being blacklisted. Right. And I saw a lot of, like I said, I, I watched interviews that had happened years and years later where people said it wasn't so much that I was upset about it, but like even my wife, who was a writer at the time, they wouldn't hire her. Right. And, you know, um, and there was a lot of guilt. And the thing of it is, is that, and this is even before McCarthy got on board, um, but it, people were pressed so hard and they were asked to rat out other people. And that that is what really was so crippling about it is that you could either be blacklisted and lose your source of income and lose your career, or you would have to turn over the people that you worked with whose career would then be destroyed. Yeah. Which which it's like what you know what that reminds me of was be having to go to confession for the first time when I was seven and you're like, Well, I have to confess something. Oh yeah. I'm I, I'm gonna lie and make it which I've talked to other people who have raised recovering catholics Catholics. (laughs) right we all like lied when we were seven because you're like like, uh i guess i'm i guess i'm bad i've i've gotta i've gotta say something because otherwise i'll be in trouble well are there also people like uh like uh elia kazan who basically like i mean he got a lot of shit because he did like he did sort of talk but he, right. but in, he he defended himself by saying like well all of these people had already been named you know they were already kind of going down and so he was like it was a no win it was a no win situation because you know if you refused if you refused to talk or if you refused to participate your reputation was ruined and then on the other hand if you did participate. Everyone else who's right. Everyone hated you. Yeah, <laughs> so there was no way out of it. But yeah. um, so uh, this was this this environment was already pretty ripe for somebody to really come in like the Music Man. Oh, good. Here we go. And uh, <laughs> really take down. advantage. And that's where we meet good old Wisconsin senator. A middling senator. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Who liked to drink. Oh, man. And you can tell because he is sweating every speech. (laughs) I mean, there's part of me that's like, wow. I mean, there's like a force of just pure like he is driven by just nasty you know because i mean when you're you're that when you're that like intoxicated and you're still (laughs) just like a dog on a goddamn bone like you're still so driven i mean there's a part of me that's like wow that's that's kind of impressive. I mean, obviously, impressive it's, it's dedication. Yeah, it's like disgusting, but it's like, geez, where do you get that drive from? Yeah. Well, you know, he was he was kind of um, he was a flimflam man, you know. Yeah, from the start. Yeah. Um, he had sort of he had run a crooked election, you know, by saying very untrue things. Uh, about it. Well, opponent. he he bolstered his like his military 
career, right? Yeah, he was uh, Tail Gunner Joe was his nickname, even though he had... A pair, like, according to him. Right, right, but he had actually never run a military exercise on a tail gun. I don't Russian. know what it's called. <laughs> yeah. This is where I'm all the, like, the, the back military the... history people like are yeah. cringing but anyway he had, he had only he had been in the pacific but he didn't really have any sort of like combat experience or nothing that not, well, nothing. didn't he like break his wrist or something or like sprain an ankle and he didn't i don't know well yeah, yeah but he didn't he didn't have an, an impressive <laughs> record more than anything he was a really likable guy who partied and made friends but he didn't oh. fight like the he he did not serve much was he likable was he oh I mean, yeah Oh, okay. I thought everybody kind of, like, didn't like him very much. Like, like the, when I was, like, sort of reading it, he were just, he reminded me a little bit of, like, Ted Cruz, where it's, like, everyone's, like, ugh, Well, it's because he, it's because he looks like Ted Cruz. I, that was my, Oh, does that, he really? I don't, I didn't look at a single Yeah, picture. he does. Yeah, he does. But, well, no, 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 because he had the superficial charm of a psychopath. Okay, he, yeah. That, so, okay. he, he was, like, this one, he was... He was charismatic in a way that he was glib, <laughs> you know, but yeah. in the, the way that he was described was... Well, I guess Ted Cruz is charming to some people, just repulsive no. to me personally. No, but that's, <laughs> that is not... That's how it's well, a lot like of people It's more like him. Ted Bundy than Ted Cruz. He just looks like Ted Cruz. Okay. The only reason that he, he was only unlikable in hindsight... Like, oh, really? Like, so, okay, that's uh, yeah. That was, that's not the impression I got, but I, I hear you. All right. Well, because the at the time, let me, I'll, I'll let me present my case for why yeah. he was likable. Yes, is because he was a partier and a gambler and a drinker. Yeah, and so in that way, he was able to get people to give him insider information and that sort of thing. But he also would turn on you and so mm. they knew that he wasn't trustworthy um but he could he could also but it was his superficial charm with the press that catapulted him to his position of power okay. like that, that that's what ted cruz does not have you know okay. i mean that that is my argument anyway but yeah no i'm okay. buying it i'm i'm picking up what you're laying down but um, the the way that he was that I heard him described was he had this like a paraphrase quote, but they said that he had the body of a man, but he had the spirit of a little boy who was tearing the wings off of butterflies. Oh God! Oh, oh Jesus! That he, he uh, really, God. he he knew the damage that he was doing, and uh, he loved it. Like there was a part of him that. Ew. And the thing is, is that he he had um, a very good partner in crime, Roy Cohn, who mm. also um, oh, God. is related that also shows up uh, in our current. Um, situation because he was also Donald Trump's lawyer. Um, Wait, 
Wait, wait, wait. What? Roy Cohn? Wait, what? You don't know who Roy Cohn is? Wait, what? (laughs) Wait, what? No, wait. Wait, so this guy who worked worked with McCarthy, he's he's still trucking. No, he's still trucking and is Donald Trump's lawyer. No, no, guys, he died. He died in the 80s. Oh, okay. You're making uh, you're making a comparison. No, to a current situation. Yeah, because. uh, Well, okay. I'll just tell the listeners that my friends have been drinking. Wait, Um, what? (laughs) So, well, you no, you said that. He you was said Trump's lawyer. Yeah, he is. He was Trump's lawyer. I, if you would honestly let me. Okay. All right. I'm gonna be quiet. Anne's gonna be quiet, and you are going to clear the air. About two months into office, Trump said, "Where's my Roy Cohn?" Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cohn is a very important historical figure because. The style that Trump adopted, Roy Cohn was his mentor. He was his lawyer for several years, and he got his start during the McCarthy trials. And that's why he's important in the narrative. Thank you, Gina. Thank you. His actually, his first case was, in fact. um, All right. I just, I want to just take a moment to soak that in because that just is so fucked up. Yeah, I told you it was gonna pay off if you gave me a chance. I know you always, you always, guys. Do it, yeah, Gina. I don't know why you don't believe in me. I, I do. I always do. I just I this is I a little. This is more than I could have ever expected. I would have brought this it. Is out very, if I didn't this think is a very. This is a very vulnerable podcast. We're all having a lot of feelings. Everyone's very vulnerable. We're all vulnerable. Well, because we're all communists. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, Um, this hits really close to home. No, no, but he was, Cone had met uh, Trump in a nightclub in uh, the 70s. They hit it off. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. He, oh, he was also, um, Cone uh, was gay. Yeah. And, um, he, uh, was also during the McCarthy era prosecuting other people and outing them and destroying for their, their lives. For yeah. their homosexuality. But, oh, um, oh, well, that's sad. Yeah. Seriously. That, that's, that's like, a, it's almost like a Greek play in a way. Um, uh. but, um, he was the lawyer that represented Trump and his father against federal charges that they had excluded uh, yes. um, African Americans and Latinos from their housing projects. Yeah. Um, they settled okay. the case with no admission of guilt. But that that is so that is why he Yeah. Well, there is no admission of guilt in a civil case. Well, <laughs> and the other why. thing is that um that it was Roy Cohn who introduced um, Roger Stone to Donald Trump. You're going to remind us who Roger Stone is. Oh, I don't know. Roger Stone is the guy who, during the campaign, talked about WikiLeaks. Mm. And um, he was the one who had talked to Julian Assange. He has those circle glasses and white hair. 
Um, okay. He has a tattoo of Nixon on his back. Oh, God. Shut what? Up. Shut This up. is like some kind of like Dick Tracy suck fucking super villainy situation going Wait, on. what? Okay, what's his name? Roger Stone. What? These are like caricatures of villains. <laughs> Well, I don't I, know what. Okay, wait, real quick. Let's take. He a has poll. a tattoo Let, of Nixon. Wait, listen, Can you see listener poll. I mean, no, what's but I better, believe you. What's the better tattoo? What's the better fullback tattoo? One of Richard Nixon or, or of <laughs> the guy from um, Counting Crows, Mister Jones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> you know that back tattoo. What about the Phoenix? Oh, oh, poor, God. sad Affleck. <laughs> wow, that hurt. It hurt to Ouch. watch. Ouch. Um, okay, so I found him. Ew. Yeah, so, um, and also, um, I think you'll be surprised to know that um, Nixon also served on the same committee as McCarthy and that Reagan was on the sorry i'm just looking for it <laughs> oh reagan was a part of the actors union in hollywood oh yeah i was gonna say wasn't he making like bedtime for bonzo around then <laughs> yeah but he he was also in cahoots he was uh with the house and american committee he, so was, he was, was sure wait it's the house committee it's a house on american activities <sighs> committee Okay, hold on. Yeah, it was the House... That one was out of the House of Representatives. This House... It, but, on, yeah, but... House on Un-American Act... House Un-American Activities Committee. Um, and, but, but McCarthy was a senator, so that's a nice little... He just kind of... Right. It, it all. Yeah, he... It was different. He... the What he was on was... Uh, it was a prosecutorial... Oh, here, I'll jump to that part. Um, well, now, let's just go back to the beginning with McCarthy. Yeah. let's just go right back to the beginning. So, he had already served one term. He was running for re-election, and he had this reputation for being the least useful senator in the Senate. <laughs> okay. Oh, which is okay. true. <laughs> so, he, he needed something to sort of, like, lift his profile, and... Um, or, yeah. And so he was in uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, giving a speech in front of, it was like the female Republican, gr- it was like a female Republican group. So it was like. Gross. A, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. And it was in that, it was in that. Shit. <laughs> It was in Wheeling, West Virginia, and um, in this speech, he said that there were 205 communists in the State Department and that he had names. Wow, that's mm-hmm. that's a big claim. Yeah, um, it was a blatant lie. He made it up. He couldn't back it up, but he definitely <laughs> stoked those fires with those Republican ladies. Right, and so it made all of the papers, and that was when he really got his mojo yeah go for it Dan. oh i was just gonna say and what when you're giving a speech like that right i don't and it's a couple years after 
World War II, the atomic bomb, all this stuff, if there are communists in the State Department, that's like this fear of the Soviets are going to take over our country. I mean, right? Isn't this it? part of it is inducing, like, complete playing on that post-war fear well, and, and trauma. Well, and that's the thing, because I, again, when I was watching some of the uh, interviews with people that had gone through the time period, so they were, like, senior citizens, um, they were saying that um, she said... All the nuts, she said. All the nuts that were freaked out about the Nazis just turned into anti-communist nuts, which I, it was the same segment Whoa. of the population. Wow! So it was like there was like you were seeing. If you can imagine, I even I have thought what must it have been like to survive World War II because it really was like an apocalyptic event. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. all of these cities that had stood for hundreds of years were demolished. And the only, you know, it, it wasn't mass genocide on a level we've never seen. Right. In human history. And it was, um, you know, it, it must have really just it. And, and our victory was not assured, you know. Like, right. it, it, there, you know, not until the very end, you know, so it was, it was very scary. And I, and then to have this, it was like, there wasn't any way to process that anxiety. You know, there wasn't, at the time, like, it, it was the same, like, with 9-11, it was, like, such a traumatic event, and it, it was this shot of fear and adrenaline and we just didn't we didn't know how to process it and so what's going on is everything okay what's happening well yeah and all that doubt and fear is a perfect catalyst for somebody to come in and be like here's where you here's where you can blame it like put all your put all of your like fears into this one little pot yeah and we'll eradicate it and i'll ride this rocket all the way to the tippity top of this senatorial campaign. And then it's like the, it's a way that people feel like they can control things that are beyond our control. You know, it was, if we can, you know, if we can find every villain, if we can make sure they're not in our schools, in our universities, in our movies, if we can root them all out, then you know, then we can be safe. So it felt like the people were doing something, you know, it's like if I could, you know, rather than, rather than feel as if the fear was controlling everyone, they could get involved in an activity to control it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we also have to remember that uh, J. Edgar Hoover was the head of the FBI at this point. Um, so he wasn't helping. No, no. And, uh, but you know what? Like, it's sort of comforting for, t- like, for me right now to know that, like, yeah, all of this like, crazy, shitty stuff was happening back then. 
and we did have like the swing of the pendulum mm-hmm. and things were, felt at least sort of okay for a while yeah. and now they're kind of crazy but we'll get back like we will right? I mean like right? if we were yeah if we were alive you know in like 1950 I I like am I same... taking crazy pills like what's going yeah. on yeah like this is yeah right so and um uh and yeah that was the reason that i wanted to cover this too is because um i wanted to show what it took um to sort of break the spell because i feel like that sort of character could present itself in this environment as well. But um, what I wanted to, the piece that I was looking for is that it was um, the, it was a subcommittee, um, United States Senate subcommittee on investigations. And that was what they, that was what they used to, um, that was Roy Cohn was the lawyer that helped to do, I mean, what ended up being hundreds of investigations and it would take like all day long, but what ended up, um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about, um, the parallel between then and now is that McCarthy was good at playing the press and he understood that there was a, like an intrinsic weakness of the press which is that, um, and this is a quote, that in order to appear objective, that they would report exactly what was said, um, even if it was unsubstantiated. So mm. the he knew that he could say whatever he wanted, and that even though the members of the press knew that what he's saying was what he was saying was untrue, they they printed it because they they're reporting what what he said said. right and so the accusations Mm -hmm. would make the front page but any sort of retraction that was printed would be buried in the paper days later so it would be Mm -hmm. the accusations that people would remember and um okay and i think that's the the one of the issues that a lot of people feel at the moment which is people are the press is just printing what's happening without without mentioning that um it's not true it's the opposite of true um like right now is that you're saying this happening yes i i i are you claiming that this is a current yes. issue? I did, I did see an article about, like, Anderson Cooper recently, one of the, I don't even know who he was talking to, and, um, you know, an advisor was like, no, Trump's never lied. Never. And, <laughs> never, and ever. He was like, like, Anderson Cooper was, like, speechless and was like, I... I don't know if you believe what you're saying. Like, he just kind of, like, freaked out a little bit. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, well, There was recently a fo- of somebody on Fox who was like, 
like the swamp that this is the swamp you created and basically like somebody on Fox recently called yeah, him out. Yeah, I saw that like, too. Today or yesterday. Yeah, it was it was a strong quote. But I think that it was a strong stance. Um but yeah, what I was going to say is that um the the difference being at the time is that no one was attacking the press the way they are now. Like Macar- okay. McCarthy, he used the press and he liked the press and he was sort of courting the press. Um, right. Which, which Trump also does, but um, he did not, uh, nobody was claiming that the press was making things up or lying or um, that. that's a, yeah, that that narrative hadn't sort of yeah. That's a that's a new narrative. That sort of mainstream media type, and and that that's part of the conspiracy theory that is fairly dangerous. And but yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So there was um, when I had mentioned that it that it what it took to break the spell. It was. Um, uh-huh. Um, Edward R. Murrow, he waited until, I think it was 1953 or 54, because this is when McCarthy started going after the army. And that was like, that was like a bridge too far. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be. And what? That's where you're, you're drunk and... (laughs) Your drunken escapade is gonna happen, <laughs> yeah. but you know, to his, you, I mean, to his own detriment, because he ended up losing sponsors, and you know, CBS was sort of upset with him. Um, you know, he was the one that sort of called out McCarthy and his methods, and it was, and and even Eisenhower, which, by the way, I know we're tough on on Republicans, but Eisenhower kicks ass. I mean, like, time and again, anytime he shows up, he does something that is pretty pretty cool. Um, because he yeah. knew that if they televised the hearings, that when people saw the methods... That they were yeah. going to turn on McCarthy because they were. Well, yeah, he gave him just enough rope to hang himself with. He was like, uh, he's going after the military at this point. Let's just put it out there. Let's let everybody see. And then, yeah. yeah. And, and it, but he was, he was judicious that way. I mean, he was, it was a, a very King Solomon move because what he could have done, you know, from the executive branch is call it all off. He could have just stopped the Senate hearings. But he didn't do that, he, you know, even when he was going after the military, because as we know, he was a military hero coming out of World War II. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, you're right. He just gave himself enough room to to really to really show because also, you know, people were those sort of, you know, innocent until proven guilty and those are fundamental american rights that people really believe in and so when they saw that you know people were being essentially taken to trial and their careers could be ruined without 
evidence that just well that's what seemed un-american right. but um this is when um there's the very famous quote where uh it was senator welch and this is the turning point where during one of the hearings he says you've done enough have you no sense of decency sir at long last have you left no sense of decency and you know it was that was when everything sort of you know the spell was was broken with you know when you had edward r murrow who people really trusted and you know people really saw the methods and they saw sweaty drunken mccarthy (laughs) going after you know young soldiers and it, it you know they they realized that they had sort of it, they had gone too far and yeah i mean they had yeah they had basically let themselves be led into this situation by this person who was was not operating at full like capacity right but yeah and i think that you know like you were sort of talking about earlier is that i think there is going to be a breaking point in our own current situation. I don't know what it's going to take or, or... Um, I have two documents from Truman's papers. Great. Uh, (laughs) addressing this topic that I think illustrate two interesting points, different points. Um, if I could share them, there's I there's no segue. I just want to interject because I really think this is interesting. Yeah, go for it. But it might not be. But well, the first is is a it's a letter written to Truman in 1948 by uh, Walter White, who's secretary of the NAACP, and he brings up a point which, throughout reading and and thinking and about all this, it's like this whole loyalty thing. Um, he he brings up this this concern of oh associating interracial matters with disloyalty, and so it gets into this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is also the time like civil rights uh, the, that move the movement at that time is about to break, and um, talking about using like this loyalty program as like a as just kind of another way to persecute minorities um it's a that's a nice cover like you know so he makes some really good points in a letter about his fears of mccarthyism did you want to i that's what i wanted to say about that and then what? Uh, did you want to tell what the points were? Yeah, the, like the specific points. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, I, I thought the, that's the, where you the, were going. The present procedure of confronting employees with charges based on hearsay and doubtful sources has done much to embarrass and intimidate loyal citizens. We therefore respectively urge that the review be made of the present loyalty program. The NAACP is particularly interested in preventing biased informants and officials 
from using loyalty program to persecute members of minority groups um, or persons sympathetic to the program of civil rights. Yeah, that's, so, that's amazing. That was that's, pretty courageous. That's a good point. Yeah, and I that actually leads to one of the sadly one of the one of the biggest outcomes of the loyalty programs and the sort of second red scare was that it it irrevocably damaged the progressive cause because right. it, there there were so many voices that were blacklisted or silenced and that were not communist but like we were talking about before that if any if it's a wonderful life could be seen as from propaganda anti-capitalist propaganda i mean it the bar is so low that any any it the loyalty pledges it was almost a a reaction to those huge social programs yeah of the roosevelt era and it was a way to sort of really just like root out you know what what i guess more conservative people would consider fairly threatening which were these ideas that were really sort of you know your your way of life where there's segregation and there's a power structure and challenging that power structure well that's is that being a loyal american because this is what we do here you know what i mean uh, and i think it also establishes an uh, another trend that we see which is what is a real american Right. You know, can somebody who's... It's a... Yeah. Go ahead. You know, and that's what these loyalty tests, you know, and all of those things were a a way of saying, you know, can you be a real American if you're newly immigrated? Can you be a real Mm -hmm. American if you're a person of color, you know, or if you're a civil rights activist or if you have socialist leanings or if you have homosexual friends or you're you know or you're not uh christian or you know yeah and the the problem with that is that you know you're an american if you live here (laughs) you know (laughs) technically it's not illegal (laughs) No, that's that's funny. But um, one of the quotes that because um, I watched the broadcast that Edward R. Murrow did that uh, was pretty like, courageous at the time. But one of the quotes he used was, "As a country, we have come into our full inheritance at a tender age," and I thought I thought <laughs> that was a you know, a pretty good way to put it because we are, we're still going through growing pains as a country, Mm -hmm. you know, this, 
it was founded on blood, genocide, and slavery. <laughs> there you go. I'm serious. And <laughs> I, I mean, you're I, right. I, I yeah. And that's gonna that takes a, that that takes a time. <laughs> that takes. <laughs> oh my god! That takes time. That takes time to sort through. Right, but you know it's uh, you know it's unlike a lot of countries where you know we have a lot of members from different countries of origin, and so you know, I, all this to say <laughs> that you know I. I, I think that we're, you know, we are fairly young for countries still, that we are still going through growing pains and that it, we're having a hard time establishing, you know, what it really means to be an American. And, and that has been a, a difficult definition for a lot of people to arrive at, you know, and that, um, you know, these sort of loyalty tests, um, and you have to prove how much you love this country and those sort of, that's all, that's, that is dangerous rhetoric that has never ended well, you know, right? like right. that, I mean, that yeah. is a, a lesson that we can learn here is that usually the, the people that are here for the most part are happy to be here and they just want to live their lives. There's no other sinister motive. They're not right. plotting against anyone. You know, they're not trying no. to steal your career or build a robot to take your job or whatever it is. Like, but just to just to wrap things up, um, you know, better dead it's than red. A... Right. Um, <laughs> And hopefully we can, you know, let saner voices prevail. And, and, you know, we've been in, we've been in a jam before and worked our way out of it. And hopefully we can, we can do that again. That's also like, how, how did we get to the point where we were so anti-communist and anti-Russia? And at this point, you know. Now, I'm saying, yeah, right? yeah, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, and at this oh, point, no, it's no, like mm, we don't need to talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like the fear that they're talking to, like McCarthy's t like whipping up about like the Russians are taking over or getting involved, yeah. hurting themselves, communism or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, where's your outrage now? now? Yeah, it almost now that we know that yeah that the Russian troll farms were were responsible for things like Jade Helm. Oh, and that's right. That's right. That's a very good point. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it it almost makes you think that maybe they never really cared that much. Right. Wait. What? Wait. Wait. What? <laughs> Wait. What? They never really came. In. Yeah. Do you mean it's not about creating like a pure patriotic America? <laughs> I don't know. Do you mean it's not in the country's best interest? <laughs> it kind of makes you wonder. 
Yeah. Do they really care in the first place? <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I don't know. I'll think. Well, at least it. at least at least we won the space race. Hey. <laughs> well, I mean, after we lost it. But after we lost it, yeah. <laughs> after we lost it, we totally yeah, won it. A, yeah. So we hard. We wanted, but we lost it, but then we got the winner time. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> look. Okay. Well, everybody, go to YouTube, look up Yankee Doodle Dandy starring James Cagney. And watch a couple of the numbers. Don't do it. You're gonna be you're gonna be on some kind of list. Watch a couple numbers. Yeah. My my father thanks you. My mother thanks you. My sister oh thanks you. And I thank you. Well, and, <laughs> wow. and we thank you for listening. Thanks as always. Can't imagine how this is gonna turn out, but we love you. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.